All right. Well, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I want to start by asking a question. If you knew that Christ were to return sometime between now and the end of the year, what in your life would change? Let me think about it. If Jesus were to return sometime in the next five, six weeks, what would change? Would you maybe try to resolve some unresolved conflicts? Would you maybe forgive somebody that you've been holding on unforgiveness towards? Would you seek forgiveness for somebody that you've sinned against? Maybe share the gospel with someone you love that know, you know they need Jesus? Would you all of a sudden maybe lay up treasures in heaven knowing that heaven's not far off? What would you change? Now, we don't know the hour of the day, but we know that he has promised to come again, and it's soon. And that truth should change how we live, how we think, how we work, how we serve, how we witness, how we worship. It should change how we steward our resources. So what does that look like? Well, the Bible's not silent. In fact, there's over 2,350 verses dealing with how to handle money and possessions. In fact, Jesus said more about possessions and money than almost any other subject. In fact, the most concentrated text on giving in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. This is a message on giving as an act of grace. Now, I know that talking about money can bother people. Why? It's personal. We don't understand the principle of stewardship. What is stewardship? Stewardship is the fact that we are not owners of what we have. We are just stewarding somebody else's resources. Why teach it today? Well, I look back and realize that I've not taught on, teaching, on, on giving for over three years. We have some very gracious givers in our church. We're really thankful for that. But we also, because we track number of giving units, we have people that don't give at all. That's a discipleship issue. That's a ministry issue. That's a, I mean, it's a, it's a spiritual maturity issue. And our elders felt it was important for us to teach this because it's discipleship. Here's the key. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. Your giving is a response to a heart that's been transformed by the Lord. It's understanding this salvation that's been purchased for you, and it's responding in kind. God is a generous giver. He gave us his son. John 3.16 made it very clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave us his son. Jesus gave his life that we could have eternal life. That is called an act of grace. Let me put up the big idea. In fact, I see it right now. Generous giving is a Christian's response 
to God's generous act of grace. Generous giving is a Christian's response. It's a response to God's generous act of grace. And so in this passage, we're not only going to see the pattern of Christian giving, but we're going to see the motivation behind it. To some of you, this is going to be a really encouraging message. To some of you, it's going to be challenging. But it's the Bible that's challenging you. It's God's word. It's not me. So first of all, let's start with the motivation. Your giving should be, one, done as a response to God's grace. It should be done as a response to God's grace. What is grace? Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. We know that we deserve God's wrath. But when God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, and we receive him as Lord and Savior, we don't receive grace, but we receive, we don't receive God's wrath, but we receive grace, we receive mercy. Grace, some have said it's God's riches at Christ's expense. And an acronym for grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. I want you to look, first of all, at chapter 8, verse 9. Paul, in writing to the church in Corinth, says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That right there is the gospel. That's the good news. Let me read it again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. When he says, though he was rich, that speaks of his pre-incarnation, of when he was heaven, his, his eternal riches that he had. Yet he became poor. He took off his royal robes. He condescended. He became a man. And there was nothing wealthy about him. He was born in a manger. He had no place to, le- to, to lay his head. Notice, why would he do this? He says, for your sake, it was an unconditional act of love. So that by his sacrifice, by him becoming poor, we might become what? Rich. That speaks of our salvation and all the benefits that flow from it, whether it be our forgiveness, our, the, the love, the peace, the joy, the honor, the eternal life that we give. Do we deserve that? No. It's an act of grace. Here's the point. What Christ has done for us should be reflected in what we do for him and for his church. So when you look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you see generous giving as a response. It's an overflow, a a result of God's generous gift of grace to us. So here's a question. Do you truly comprehend God's grace? Have you been rocked by what God has done for you through his son, Jesus Christ? When you do, it changes your perspective. It changes your heart. 
changes the way you work for him. See, giving is an act of grace. You see in this, these two passages the word grace or favor. It's the same word in the Greek, charis. You see it six times. Look at, look at verse 7 of chapter 8. He says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace. Giving is an act of grace. So that's the first motivation. But before we go on to the other, other motivations, I want to look at the New Testament pattern of grace giving. I think it's important for us to understand the pattern because there can be a lot of confusion on this. L let me say something here real quick. I think it's really important. When I went to church the first time and they passed the offering plate, I was like, is this for me? I mean, it's just like that was my thinking. It's like, okay, they're thankful that I came. It's like... Party favors. I, was like, I did not want to give anything. I worked hard for this money. I didn't understand it. Growing up, not in the church. The first thing we see in the pattern of grace giving is it's systematic. In fact, I'm going to ask you to turn back just a couple pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 where we see it's systematic. Now, look at chapter 16, verse 1. End of his first letter. And in 1 Corinthians, he's answering a lot of questions. So there must have been a question asked about the collection. He said, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Notice he says, concerning the collection, on the first day of every week, put something aside. What's the first day? It would be the Lord's day. The day that they gathered for worship and fellowship. Giving was a part of their worship. They'd give as an act of worship to God. And notice it was... It was systematic. It wasn't just willy-nilly as, as they felt led. Now, does it have to be once a week? No. It, it, it can be weekly. It could be bi-monthly. It could be monthly. Like I get paid, and I'm thankful for it, on the 1st and the 15th of the month. So we set up recurring giving on the 1st and the 15th of, month, of the month. It's, it's always the first check that we write. If Pam does a real estate deal, it's the first check that we write. We always understand the importance of giving because all that we have is a result of God. We understand that. But notice what it says here in verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you. Now, who's included in each of you? It's everyone. It, it, it's everybody. Who does that include? It includes children. It includes students. It includes college students. It includes young adults. It includes older adults, mature adults. Once we understand, once Pam and I understood the concept of giving, we taught our children the concept of giving. In fact, we, we don't pass the plate here. We have boxes, people go online, but, but, but when our kids... When we got saved, they would pass a plate. And our kids, if they got an allowance, if they worked 
earned a little bit of money, they always gave a portion back because we wanted them to know that it came from the Lord, that, all of, that it wasn't theirs, that they were just stewards of it, and they were giving back to the Lord what he had given to them. Our kids today, because of what we taught, they're extremely generous. We've seen that in their lives in so many different ways. It's a reminder of the gift that Jesus gave to them. We encourage you, teach your children early. Teach them to understand it. Why? In fact, they would put it in an envelope with their name on it. And so at the end of each year, they got a giving statement. So we could, we could rejoice in what God had, what they had given to the church. And, and we would talk about things that had taken place as a result of it. We let them know that they were laying up treasures in heaven. So first of all, it's systematic. But secondly, it's proportionate. We see that in verse 2 again. It says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. That's the key right there. As he may prosper. So it's proportionate. For some people, the, the amount is not the, the key. But it, it's proportionate to how they prosper. The New Testament pattern of giving is proportionate. Now, there's some people that say, you know, when I earn more money, then I'll start giving. Really? That, to me, is not understanding the fact that the Lord has given you what you have. And we encourage people, whether you, you know, you've got a part-time job at Chick-fil-A two days a week or whatever it is, you babysit. This is for all of us. It says each of you. You do it in a proportionate way. God wants to see, are we willing to be faithful with the little things so he can entrust us with greater things? And some of you might be asking, what about the tithe? Well, what about the tithe? First of all, the tithe was memorialized in the law, and, during, and that's in the Old Testament. A tithe is one-tenth. We, we know how Abraham gave to Melchizedek, the, the prophet and priest, he gave him 10% even before the law, but the tithe, there were actually three tithes in the Old Testament. Some say maybe four. There was a tithe for the temple that was 10%. There was another tithe for the Levites who took care of the temple. And then every three years for the widows and orphans, there was another tithe. So that would be considered 23%. The, the, Old Te the New Testament doesn't speak of a tithe. Nowhere is the tithe thrown away. In fact, Jesus confronts the Pharisees because they were so excited about the fact that they did tithe and they told everybody about it. It's between us and the Lord. But the fact is, the Bible doesn't specify a percentage. But why would you give less under grace than you would under the law? One of the things that Pam and I have always talked about and I think Randy Alcorn in his book called The Treasure Principle talks about this. He said, really, the, the tithe should be the floor, not the ceiling. The pattern of giving, it was systematic. It was proportional. Third, it's sacrificial. Go back to chapter, not, chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It was, it was sacrificial. 
So Paul now shares with the Corinthian church about the giving of the churches in Macedonia. Who are the Macedonian churches? It would be Thessalonica. It would be Berea. Berea. It would be Philippi. They were extremely poor churches. You'll see that. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace. We see here that it was sacrificial. The gift was a grace gift. They saw it as a hand of God. Look at these churches. Notice what it says here. Verse 2. They were in a severe test of affliction. It says their extreme poverty, but in response to that, there's this abundance of joy. There's this wealth of generosity. They were overwhelmed by the fact that they could give to the needs of the saints. The language here is pretty intense. But they were moved by God's grace. Notice it says that overflowed in a wealth of generosity, that, that idea of overflowing. It's like a river overflowing its banks. And we see again that it was proportionate. Verse, look at verse 3. They gave according to their means. There was no exacting of it. I'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 5 says, they gave themselves first to the Lord. I think this is the key. The Bible tells us that we are not our own. That we've been purchased with a price. We now belong to Christ. We are part of his family. Have you given yourself to the Lord? Have you said, Lord, I am yours? It doesn't mean you have to surrender to full-time ministry like some have. But it means your business belongs to the Lord. Your family belongs to the Lord. Your entertainment belongs to the Lord. Their dedication to the Lord led to their sacrificial dedication to giving. Their sacrificial giving was a response to grace. Pattern systematic, it's proportionate, it's sacrificial. Fourth, it's generous. It's generous. Look again at verse 2 of chapter 8. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. There was nothing stingy about these believers. And I think back, I, I think about. We have a church. So many of you are just gracious. You've, you understand the grace of God. And your hearts are reflected as a result of that. 
generous. It means single-mindedness. It's a focus on others. In fact, Jesus speaks about generous giving in Mark chapter 12. Let me put that on the screen. Notice what it says. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. This is Jesus. This is not something we would ever do. It's not something the elders do. We just, it's between you and the Lord. But Jesus, he watched. It says, many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to their offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. You see, that's generous. It's sacrificial. And what we notice here is the Lord watched. He saw it. He sees. He cares. What was he looking for? Not the amount. The heart. Jesus doesn't need our money. It's, it's, a, it's a part of our sacrifice to the Lord. Fifth, the pattern is loving. It's a loving thing to do. Look again at verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he was poor, so that by his poverty, so that you by his poverty might become rich. It was a picture of our love. In fact, look at verse 24. He says, so, so give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. It's, it's an act of love. That pattern is just, it's, your heart is moved by a love for others. And we know that we love because he first loved us. Giving is loving. It's without hypocrisy. Jesus gave out of love, and as believers, we are to give out of love. And, and, but notice there's some benefits to it. Look at verse 10. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. One last thing. The pattern was to the local church. It was to the local church. New Testament giving was always to the local church first. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, you see that there was not a need among them. In Acts chapter 4, they, they, they sold their possessions and they laid it at the elders' feet. You would see in the Old Testament, they would take it to the temple. We, we are believers in parachurch ministries. But if we give to parachurch ministries... And sacrifice our giving to the local church, which is the New Testament pattern. What have we just done? We've broken that, that pattern. It was always to the local church. So now let's go back from the patterns to the motivations. The first motivation is it's a response to grace. Here's the second motivation. It's done with the right heart. It's done with the right heart. Look at chapter 9. And let me start in verse 5. 
Paul continues on. He says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Look at verse 6. This, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's done with a heart that's been awakened by the gospel. And when your heart has been awakened by the gospel, it's reflected in how you give. And we see two types of giving. He contrasts them here. One is the way not to give. The other one is the way to give. How do we not give? Notice verse 5, not as an exaction. He says, you don't give this as an exaction. Like, it's like we're putting pressure. This is not pressure. I'm just explaining what God's word says. You should never feel the pressure other than the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's not as an, as an exaction. And, and it's not for quid pro quo. I'm going to do this if I can get this in, back, in, 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 in return. Secondly, it's not done sparingly. Verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. It's the whole idea of, of, of sowing and reaping. It's, it, we, we do it in a very limited, constrained manner. Listen, God did not spare his own son. Also, it's not to be done reluctantly. Look at verse 7. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. It's not, it's not begrudging. It's with a joyful heart knowing that you're expanding the kingdom. Like when I was going through the kind of where we've been as a church, my heart was overflowing with joy knowing that we got to be a part of that. And many of you have been laying up treasures in heaven as a result of your faithful giving. But then he talks about how to give. Talks about how not to give, but how to give. Verse 5 says willingly. It's a willing heart. In, in, in verse 6, it talks about bountifully. In verse 7, it says, cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful, some translations, it's hilarious. Now, I'm not asking you to chuckle every time you give. But you may not want to give when you're doing your cable bill or you're doing your power bill or anything else like that. Because let me tell you something. There's not a lot of joy in that. But there is joy in giving to the Lord. Acts 23, 35, Jesus is quoted, says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The point is, we give as a response to what's done in our hearts. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he quotes Psalm 112, verse 9. He has distributed freely and he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So through giving, he may increase our righteousness. So, so often people say, well, like, if I give $75, then that means I'm going to get $75 five times over. That's not what that means. We got to be careful. I, I heard a story of, of, it's like there was a pastor was sending, it was a television guy. He was sending out all these letters. You send me seventy-five dollars, and we'll have the money we need for our ministry, and you're going to receive it back five times over. 
he responded, this guy who got this letter responded by writing a letter to the pastor and said, I'll tell you what, you give everybody you sent a letter out to $75, you'll have five times more than you had before, and we'll get our $75. He never heard from the pastor again. <laughs> the fact is we know that all that we have has been given to us by God. Verse 11 says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. All right, let's look at the final or last two motivations. Third, it's done for the glory of God. It's done for the glory of God. Our greatest desire should be to glorify God. Look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service of giving is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for the inexpressible gift. The fact is, when you give, when you give when it's systematic, proportionate, sacrificial, generous, loving to the church, you're bringing glory to God. It glorifies God because you're reflecting the heart of a giving God. And because you're laying up treasures in heaven. Finally, final motivation. It's done as a good steward of God's resources. It's done as a good steward of God's resources. Now, some of you might be struggling right now because in your heart, you have a desire to give this way, but, but there's too much money, too much month for your money. And this is where it's important that you're careful. For many people, and I don't want to say everybody, but for, for many people, it's not an income problem, it's an expense problem. I had a friend tell me a couple of years ago that he had a client who's a doctor who makes over $2 million a year, and he said to him, if I had a family member that needed $20,000, I wouldn't have it to give to him. It's not an income problem. It's an expense problem. For some of you, that just might mean a couple less lattes each week. Many Christians cannot or do not give because they're over-leveraged, they're overspending, they're over-indulging, or they're lacking faith. And Malachi talks about that as robbing God. So how do you get on the right track? Briefly, let me just say, confess it. Confess it to God and repent of it. Say, Lord, forgive me because my, my giving, it's been about me, not about you. Second, get a handle on your expenses. If you go to FPU, financial peace, the first thing they're going to have you do is track all your expenses. When Pam and I do marriage counseling, the first thing we do when we talk about finance, track all your expenses. See where you are. Develop a budget. We, you can actually sign up for Ramsey Plus now. It's free for our church. Just go to our website where it says get involved and grow classes, and you can start today. Fourth, have a family meeting and talk about it. Get on the same page with your spouse if you're married. Finally, start now.
Give as a response to God's generous gift. So let me ask you the question again. If Jesus were to come back in another month, what might you change today? Would you reflect the one who paid it all and gave you eternal life? The one that paid your debt on the cross to cancel your sin? So our worship team comes up, all three of them. Let me pray. Father, Lord, let this message not feel to anybody like us asking them for anything. But let this message be a heart check. Where am I with you? Do I truly reflect what you've done in my life? Have I responded to your incredible grace through this act of grace in giving? Father, we want to be a people that are wholly committed to you. Help us to give ourselves to you. Let our lives be a, a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, Lord. And Father, I just thank you. And I just want to thank those in this church that have been so faithful to give. That we can do the ministry that you've called us to. And Lord, we know that our best days are ahead of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.